Welcome to the All Digital AM Podcast. This episode originally aired as a video on the All Digital AM YouTube channel. Can you hey. hear me? Good, good. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can, Jason. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you? Oh, it's been a it's been a busy day, but that's good, right? It's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's everything looking on video on my end? Okay, for your background, good. Yeah, yeah. Really cool stuff in the background there. Looking good, man. Awesome. Yeah. Any any questions before we kick it off? No, I love your I love your get up behind you. Super awesome. Ah, I just threw, <laughs> I got through a couple things in the background. You know, it's, I, I I didn't want to get too crazy. I have a bunch of masks, but I'm like, no, 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 no. I just keep a little subtle, little subtle background stuff. Super awesome. <laughs> I love it, man. There's a weird little spider on the on the paint nice. back there. If you can see that, <laughs> yeah, I got tons, tons of little things. You know, I got this is a cool one here. Oh, awesome! Oh, that's alien, right? It's one of the alien yep. creatures. Yeah. Yep. Neato, man. Neato. That I think I saw. What is that? One of the ones? What machine did you print that in? This is actually one part of a much bigger piece. This is all carbon DLS. Nice. Uh, super, super early on with carbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I saw a video or something of that. Did you? Was it in a video? Maybe it was just shown at a show. I just remember seeing it in some yeah, video it, somewhere. It's gotten a lot of play everywhere. It's. I think technically speaking, it, it is the first commercialized product that was actually done on a carbon machine that went out for sale. Uh, okay, that's how we did all of those maquettes uh, collectibles. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Oh, well, all right. We can kick it off then. I get to just have fun with it, buddy. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody. My name is Adam Panna. I'm here today to continue the conversation in 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And I'm very excited today to have Jason Lopes. And Jason is joining us from Carbon 3D in Los Angeles. And he's also the global market development engineer over there. So, Jason, how are you doing today? Wonderful to have you. I'm doing great, Adam. Thank you. I, I love that we're doing this in October, my favorite month of the year. Yeah, yeah. This episode is going to uh, air on Halloween week. So uh, with Halloween coming up, I thought it'd be a fun one to do with you. And I really appreciate you uh, talking and reaching out and uh, in preparing this. So this is really fun. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this. Same here. Good, good. So I know, uh, man, we, we've talked a bit, but uh, you know, there's been a lot that's changing. Everybody's kind of getting back to work now inside of the pandemic, but we're all still going through those interesting times. And a lot of the unknown still with the upcoming end of the year and everything but i guess how have things been going for you during the pandemic over there you know at carbon and how has it been in general for you yeah well you know it, it's <laughs> been interesting uh, to yeah. say the least uh it's it's been nice being part of helping uh so you know shifting in my role during the pandemic was a pretty easy shift for me uh with, with what i do uh, I have a lot of printing uh, skill and background as well as development background. Uh, so a lot of my accounts, you know, they're located globally, more in the U.S., but there are some outliers outside of the U.S. So my normal workflow would be I would work on things and then travel out to clients. Well, obviously, the pandemic has changed that. So all of my remote clients, if you will, I've helped them digitally as much as possible. But we actually have a partner in Southern California that's not too far from my house. Uh, so I was able to still get a lot of hands-on and development physically at their facility during the pandemic uh, with developing a lot of their PPE items, helping out for bridge production, bridge what? tooling, using additive. Uh, so it, it's been good. But it's led to me having to shift up literally in my home office how I go about my every day. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm constantly monitoring the studio and seeing what printers are available if I have to get things in there quickly. Uh, and then even to the quality aspect of it, uh, not being there and having more of that intimate relationship hands-on, mm. I really had to build alliances with the people that are on site uh, at Carbon and work more hand-in-hand with them and really develop together this new way of working and how do we get, you know, benchmarks and things like that through in the same timely fashion that we did pre-pandemic. Right. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot going on. And I know that the team collaboration over there is a big part of uh, getting through this right now. And everybody's had to kind of change and adapt to that. I know Carbon's had a lot of great things that they've been doing with the PPE and, the, and all the all the health items. And they're actually the swabs have been a big story with what's going on. So uh, great to see that reaction from the industry and also from Carbon. But I know there's just the, the also the everyday business that we're all taking care of. And so, yeah, that everyday workflow, it has to be a challenge. And uh, so you've come up with some interesting ways to handle it, I'm sure. Yeah, very interesting ways because, you know, not unlike other people that might be watching, you know, I have kids at home as well that are going through their schooling and their virtual as well. Yeah, my my daughter's in the other room right behind this wall here right now. She's in sixth grade and she's in class right now, virtual school. So there you go. And and that's a challenge as well because I'm trying to make sure I'm doing all I can to help help my kids get through their learning challenges and even for helping on the teacher's end of things Mm -hmm. and sharing bandwidth and it's just making sure that I don't disrupt in the other room. I'm a very animated person and most oh. of my day is in meetings. Sure. So and a lot of times I'll get knocks on the wall from my daughter asking me to keep it down. It's kind of I, funny. I could relate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's never the other way around. Yeah. It's like, what? Uh, me, me keep it down? How did this happen? Yeah. yeah. But what's been really great about it, though, you know, in hindsight is my, my daughter specifically has been able to see me doing this pivot. Mm-hmm. And really hearing a lot of these high-level task force committees that I was put on during COVID just in the industry. Mm-hmm. And she's really learned a lot about what dad truly, truly does and how dad helps people more than just printing. Wonderful. And I think that's a big one, right? Like, yes, printing is the physical aspect of what, what I do. However, there's a lot more that I do that I can never put in words to explain it to my kids. And they got a firsthand look and seeing how I take part in that. And it's really helped them see, oh, this is really neat what dad's doing. He's doing a lot, developing people, helping people, and more importantly, having fun doing it. Yeah, that is the important part of it. But yeah, to have your kids see what's going on too in your everyday work life, uh, get a little, uh, hopefully a little more respect than uh, was given prior to that because just a little sure, bit. Yeah, just, just, just <laughs> a tiny bit. Uh, but yeah, no, that that's great. What, what are their ages? Uh, so my son just turned 18, so he's yeah. kind of out of sight, out of mind. My daughter just turned 14. Okay, awesome. Going into high school. So it was pretty important for me, uh, for her to see all that was going on. And my approach into the pandemic outside of my professional work, uh, just helping locally. And what, what I did was on top of all of my job requirement, I figured I, I can help my local community uh, from ground up. And figuring top down will meet us like the bigger companies. So I went to all my local resources that I'm involved with, like my local dentist office, right? Who me and my family go for our teeth cleaning. How can I help there? And sure enough, they needed help. And we were printing mask fitters, doing a lot of different things, helping them source items. And it was really nice to help community, see community come together, uh, local organizations, 
while the big players were trying to solve it on more of a grand scale. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of my approach going bottom up. And at some point we're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And I think that's starting to really happen. Yeah, that's uh, that that community side of it uh, is defined right there. I mean, really, when you can get help at that small scale, uh, that's really important, especially during this time. I know a lot of people needed that, so that's yes. awesome. You know, we all need to get involved with our communities, and that's what I've been doing too, to getting involved with the schools and things going around here. So, uh, yeah, I got to stay active and got to kind of change your everyday activities to help each other. You know, I mean, who wants to exactly. go at it alone? You know, so that's. Uh, that's great. That's good to hear that. And and that's happening in Los Angeles. So I know there's been a lot of media there about what's been happening in Los Angeles. Has How has that affected the, the work operations or do you see any of that going on? What, what is your reality with things happening over there? So it's 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 been a little bit of a challenge for me. I mean, I've pretty much been landlocked into my home here. Uh, so digitally, uh, my throughput has increased. Uh, mm. So I'm able to meet the demand of my everyday accounts and clients. Uh, but unfortunately, what, what's been hard for me in this change is, you know, I wake up and I'm into the night. Work, work hours and social hours have kind of blurred the lines a little bit. And I think that's happened for a lot of people. Uh, so really trying to make sure on the mental health side of it that, you know, I do take some time in for me. Uh, this way I don't get, you know, just buried in all of the work. It's very easy to keep going. I'm very passionate about yeah. work. Uh, I, I'm a type of person that when my plate is filling up, I love that. I want my plate to be full at all times. Uh, however, I don't help it at times by constantly keep going and, I think it sets up expectations that can kind of corner you at times, just makes it a little bit of a challenge. I mean, at some point you do have to put yourself and consider yourself in this crazy workflow and do it. I mean, my job role has changed significantly all through the pandemic, just on helping accounts and customers. Like I even started sourcing, helping out some of our local accounts uh, when they were going for their PPE initiative, just sourcing things like Elastic. Right. Wow. And how can okay. I help source elastic, picking up tens of thousands of yards of elastic and filling up my car and going down to local fabric shops that I actually know from my special effects days nice. and being able to help out. Like, for instance, Dinsmore down in uh, Orange County in sure. Southern California, they had an amazing PPE effort uh, and they had a lot of contracts with local hospitals. But sourcing was a big thing. So just helping out on, on that front and then seeing the reactions of local business owners when you come in there for it, picking up 30,000 yards of elastic. Wow. Yeah. Having business owners tell you, thank you, your order alone has kept my staff employed for another month, month and a half at least. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is pretty neat. Uh, that's the reality of it. There's a lot of local businesses that need our help. And I make a point of that when the the few times I have gone out to eat, it's the local restaurants and not the big ones because exactly uh, trying to keep everyone alive that's happening inside of their business. It's, it's, it's a hard struggle right now for a lot of people. That's for sure. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And the supply chain side of it is, uh, you know, where 3D printing has kind of, you know, shined. It's been able to supplement a lot of what's happening during this time. But obviously, as things picked up and normal manufacturing has come into play, but you still have those supply chains out there that are looking at 3D printing in a totally different way. So uh, that that's good news, you know, got to look at the positive of things that are happening in our community. But 
I like what you're talking about localized help. A lot of people don't really look at that and they get too tied into what's happening only in their own work situation, only in, you know, what they're doing. And uh, it's a big part of it. I think that's a big part of community is reaching out and helping other people. So um, I love that. It's really opened up my eyes. Uh, And I think a lot of that interaction with local community and helping is what got me through the early days of, of COVID. There was this big unknown. Things would change an hour by hour, what we were hearing in the media. But really getting together with a lot of this local outreach and helping has been great. You know, supply chain got disrupted. You know, 3D printing stepped up. I mean, you saw it everywhere. What I really love about our industry is how many makers came out to help uh, and started coming up with solutions on the local level for their communities which is absolutely great. I know there's a big argument to be had with a lot of these, you know, consumers type of machines and the materials, et cetera. However, I saw the positive in it anyway, that it really shows how special this industry is with people wanting to contribute and help. And my approach has been, has been very much different during it. Uh, yes. 3d printing additive manufacturing absolutely will help. However, early on with all that I've learned over the past three years, I knew supply chain was going to catch up. So rather than focus on just the shifting everything to additive, how can we also educate the local need to utilize additive as a bridge gap until the supply chain, until the faucets turn back on? Mm. And I thought that was a great opportunity to A, help in the time of need, but B, also at the same time, educate a lot of these companies that had this need to how they can really look at additive for the future. And it's really working out a lot. Yeah, no, that's, that is an awesome point with education. I mean, everything that's been going on, a lot of the common thread of conversation are two things. Uh, even had a poll that was done and it, and it boiled down to the same two things. Right now I see security. Everyone wants to feel secure with what's going on. And you can go, you can get to, into the details of even in 3D printing, uh, you know, sharing files, you know, working with people virtually. There's a lot of security issues going on there. And, yep. and you just want to feel comfortable with moving forward. But the other side, like you're talking about, is education education on all levels, you know, and and, uh, we're at the tipping point of that, you know, education is starting to pick up. You're seeing programs inside of big universities happening specifically for additive. So it's a, it's a new time. Uh, We're starting to see a little of the fruits of those labors. I know there's a few graduates from some of those programs out there, uh, but you know, that's just starting. So the education side on even educating our engineers and our next generation, but also the community out there of understanding what's available, you know, where to look, where resources are. I see all that is stepping up in education too. And, and uh, it's, it's both, it's kind of a marriage of security and education. People feel insecure because they gain knowledge kind of a thing. Yeah. Yep. So. I agree. And in a time of need, let's face it, it's, it's a big investment for a company to shift gears and even put in an educational on how to adopt additive. Mm-hmm. into a facility that mm-hmm. that's a resource that's a big resource for any company to take on in this time in need this happened automatically through mm-hmm. all the amazing vendors that were able to bring this is what we can do for you this is how we can help and once you get that starter conversation going and show that value prop and how we can start solving problems brings more people to the table mm-hmm. and you start advancing very very quick and what was you know before the pandemic a big fear slash resource for any company to undertake just automatically started undertaking this during this time. So I, I'm, I can't wait to see and do like a year in review and see, you know, where have we seen things increase just in throughput? 
more companies leveraging additive? Like, are we going to see some amazing more case studies come out over the next year of new adopters that have adopted because of this time? I'm just looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a lot that is still remains to be seen. And I feel like we're at that tipping point of, hey, this is going to be the next, you know, big wave of what 3D printing produces, you know, and uh, we're, uh, it's a it's an exciting time for that. But there is a lot of uh, synergies that have to be kind of uh, come together for this to, to happen. And it's not easy. You know, I think that uh, that education and that security out there feeling like, okay, we're going forward in the right direction. A lot of companies are looking at risk mitigation, right? Yep. And and boy, did a lot of things happen with that, uh, those risks, ha- you know, coming to fruition and not being prepared. Uh, so what are we going to do for some sort of next type of emergency with supply chains and understanding things? And that's, that whole education kind of it just flows into what can be done with 3D printing. What can you actually do? I hear a lot of that in the questioning out there. So that's, that's really neat. Exactly. And, and, I, and, I, and I know, you know, our industry, you know, five, six years ago came a little bit sensationalized on sure. what the claims of 3D printing were going to do. And I'm glad that, you know, we were kicked back a little bit and having to swallow that pride and really prove uh, unsationalistically what, what 3D printing can do and how it can help. And I, and I think we're, we're finally getting there. I think we're going to mature into adoption as an industry even more. I think we're going to have a lot more younger people coming out with an understanding of designing for additive and specific additive processes, which is something that we don't have now, but you're hearing DFAM a lot more these days. Yes, uh, you are. A lot more. You know, it's funny. I was just thinking last night uh, when I was going to bed, I, I remember being back in my special effects days and starting to play with a lot of technologies and understanding in week one, oh, my God, we have to adapt to this. And my, my company really didn't understand. And what do you mean, Jason? And I go, well, we can't just try to put the same designs through this. I mean, theoretically, we can make it happen. But what advantage are we taking with this technology if we're just going to put the same designs that we've designed years ago into this. So in 2008, we were already understanding, no, there's this whole design for additive. And I was calling it to, to my group back then was, okay, I don't want to overcomplicate it. Let's d- design to remove the necessity for supports in a 3D print, right? Let's look at sure. it simplistically like this. So I remember we're special effects. So it's a lot differently even with our with a lot of my group's industry language back then and getting them to understand the minute you say redesign learning something to design differently i think a lot of people start pumping the bricks a right. little bit whoa, whoa, whoa. oh that i got to go back to the drawing board and learn right but if you show the benefits of why you want them to attack designing differently and you call out things where we can get a better performing product uh, we have, you know, that lead time is now really opened up for us because we're getting a lot more done on day one, week one, and more importantly, economics, right? Mm-hmm. How can we remove a lot of the, the manual supporting up front of a design, the physical removal of those supports later? And then the third piece of it is those supports that are removed are now just piling into the economics factor and adding waste to it, mm-hmm. unnecessary material just to build this. So I think once you start leveraging that, people start kicking it. Once again, I'll go back to, I use, you know, at Carbon every day, we have to talk about people about modifying files for the best result. Mm -hmm. And I learned early on, 
The minute you use the word redesign, people's eyes open. That, that file's locked. I attack it by a, a modification for printability. Mm. And then it seems to go into a discussion a little bit more because now I can start tying it to the number one thing, cost factor, economics. Yes. And the minute I say how a modification can influence and drop down the economics, we're never going to match injection molding. Not today, not tomorrow, not 10 years from now. <laughs> What's the place. value prop to use this outside of impossible geometries, things like that, short programs that really don't have the budget for a tool to be cut, etc. If you can start influencing on design modification for economics, that's a big win. And that's what people want to hear. No, that's a, a wow. That's a great po- point, and it's a huge insight into the reality of the situation. You know, because that is, it's a roadblock. There's all the design processes in there. Nobody wants to hear that we have to redesign a part. It kind of puts up all the barriers of whoa, whoa, whoa. We've already went through this. You know, uh, exactly. But, but you know, when you're looking at getting the better economics of what's going to happen once it prints, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, that's a cost saving uh, uh, procedure we're going through here. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone loves saving money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. No, but but I mean, it's 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 not smoke and mirrors. It's the reality of it. It's the benefit. It's that value add that you get with going through the process of building layer by layer and understanding how that design is a bit different from what you might be doing in another process. So exactly. Yeah, that, that's great stuff. So you, you brought up a lot that we were talking about, too, with the materials. And I know that. Um, even with the technology itself, I know it's it's, it's digital light synthesis that that uh, carbon use. Yes. I just just wanted to pull back because I remember ears and and uh, you know uh, marketing from a while back. What happened to Clip? Is there still Clip? Is or is that just morphed into uh, DLS? Is it the same thing or so? So Clip yeah. is still a definition of like how our process works. Yeah, uh, I, I use it. I when everyone asks, well, why did carbon just go with? DLS. We, we wanted, you know, DLS is the process, okay, mm-hmm. digital light synthesis. And I also inject some humor in there. If anyone knows animation, you look at Simpsons and stuff, you wonder why they only have three fingers. It's because you save money. So we're, we're getting rid of a letter there. Uh, hey! No, that's just a joke. That's no, good, though. It's just to dial into our process of, of digital light synthesis, DLS, and, uh, you know, you can still hear it interchanged, but if you yeah. look in any of the carbon literature on the website, it's always referred to now as the process of DLS. Yeah, just wanted to make sure I was I, I didn't think there was anything that changed so much in the technology other than the name, right? Is it correct? That's okay. all they just came up with a the, the new acronym. Yeah, that, that, well, good. Yeah, I, I was talking, uh, of course, uh, before about what had happened in the past when I first saw carbon being, uh, you know, coming into the uh, the trade shows, and uh, of course, that's where I started to hear that that reference there yep. of uh, the clip technology, and then of, of course now I've been seeing DLS, and I was like, did they have something change? It's the same thing, though. No, that's the bottom exact line. same thing. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Now, I know a, a big benefit of that technology is the materials. And uh, yes. there's, a, there's a way that you can get isotropic properties, which is the way all the fibers line up. And mostly inside of, you know, protecting that Z direction, which is always kind of laid flat in some of the other technologies. Um, so, so I, I mean, I've heard a lot of understanding the material that goes into what happens in the process. So where is that, where is that benefiting the customer? So to back up, just yeah. a little bit. So we use dual cure materials uh, sure. on our engineering grade resins. Uh, they're two-part urethanes that get dispensed together through a, a dispensing gun with a mixing tip. And then we have a pot life to build in. So this is where the carbon material scientists can really develop some fascinating materials that have never been out there before. To answer your 
your question specifically, this is the first time ever in, in an industry, I think, where you can start with a concept, begin prototyping, validate that, and go out to quantity production, serial production in some cases, all from day one in the same working material. So even in a bridge gap, if you use 3D printing, if you use carbon DLS in a bridge gap, we're solving that need for the bridge gap for the moment of need. However, for an engineer or for a designer, that bridge gap is a different material. Mm -hmm. We're going to prove out an even functional prototype. We're going to prove out. And then when we get to that tool, we're in a different material at the end of the day. Uh, The process is nice being able to have additive be a player there. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, for a designer engineer, they want to see their design in that chosen material from start to finish all the way to high volume output. So we really enable you can do all of your testing, understanding your designs. How can you influence your designs even better by working in that same material from day one? Mm-hmm. And that's, in fact, that's kind of leads into like every day when I talk to a lot of people and train people, I don't speak to the technology out the gate. Because I'm looking at the application, the program's needs. I look at it from a material perspective. If I have a, in Carbon's library, if I have a material that's going to match the requirements of that program or that application, then I'll speak to the technology. Because if I can't match it in material, the technology's moot, in my point. Sure. We'll find you, find the material first. That leads to the vehicle, which is your technology. So I think people overthink it a lot. They want to go right to a technology and then hope they can deep dive and find the material. I don't agree with that approach at all. Uh, so if you understand it from the, mater- the application's need of a material, that opens you up to really learning about the technology in the best possible way. And you'll be able to influence your designs and engineering and take advantage of why you chose that material and get the guidelines for that material and really push the limits for a better performing product. Uh, so many people just try to bucket it in. Well, I get this technology or I just want it printed in this technology. Why? What's the need for the technology? You have a need for material in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that again, dress addresses the economics. Like you were saying, if, if ahead of time they have the material that fits the application, everything else can fall in around that. So everything can fall in around it. That's the nice thing about this workflow. You can be the engineer designer. I can be the bean counter. We can from minute one, even though your design's not finished, we can start gauging economics. We can start bringing up problems with the economics. We can then interact and say, how can you start changing some of these designs to give me a drop down in the cost? Is it less material usage? We're going to weigh material usage. We're going to weigh design to a better performing part. So you have this synergy that can really work together to help drop it down at the end of the day. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Now, when when you're talking about in general, you know, we're going into a production mode here with with where printing's going, and that is the additive manufacturing side of it. Uh, but the reality is, a lot of what's going on in the industry, there's still all the prototyping world. You know, it's it's a large part of it. So, I mean, what's your definition of going from prototype to production? So, uh, so prototyping is my world. I, I come from a heavy prototype world because prototype, I think, is an open-ended word. Uh, Many people use prototypes in in different manners. Uh, So my definition is, you know, I'm constantly working in a prototype world. However, 
at the end of the day, if I'm working in carbon DLS and a chosen engineering material, there's a good argument if, is this actually a prototype anymore? It's a, could be a functioning earlier version rev of a final product. And so there's a good argument about prototyping. I think once we have more materials come into market all around on how that word's going to evolve a little bit. But for me, a, a prototype world is, this is my first run, my first look at a concept. Uh, I can start gauging performance. I can start gauging uh, application-specific needs, the harsh environment it may be in, ways to address it, and mature that prototype into a functional prototype, which, once again, that's a blurred line, too, prototype to functional prototype. Pretty much I'm working in functional prototypes from day one today because of these materials. But this whole prototyping stage, quote-unquote, really is getting close to a direct end-use revision, in my opinion. And we can do so many dynamical things within that space before calling it a lock. And I don't even think we call it a lock anymore, excuse me, Mm -hmm. meaning that we can take this prototype into a functional prototyping world of testing and then go into production. We're in production with this design. Well, you call me and say, you know what, this product that we have, we want to start, you know, taking it to a customized level now. We uh, have a new buyer that's coming in that wants to start putting branding on it. Well, think about what you'd have to do traditionally for that. You'd have to plan all of that up front before your tools, etc. Now, it doesn't matter. We can run a parallel lane, bring in new designs, new customization, add some bespoke to it, prove it out through an iteration or two, and then just switch the lane in production. So yeah. production, you know, it's like I, I look at production now with customization and other performance enhancing uh, things going on, kind of like that overview of the old, you know, switching station at the train tracks, right? You see how, you know, everything's constantly switching, but it all leads to the same course, to the mm-hmm. same end. So we can dynamically do things without halting production and bring in new concepts, ideas, new better performance enhancements all without missing a beat. Yeah. And I think that also speaks to what you were talking about with the strengths of the materials themselves, because if you're looking at the material that is going to be your end use material, you're already working towards production, right? Right. In that sense. So it's huge. I mean, if, 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 if we have that right application or that right part that gets printed and validated out, and even if we're not talking production today, a month from now, we get the call that that products needs to go into production it's very easy to put into production. The yeah. work's been done. It's validated. We can distribute it to a global network or we can stay to our own local network. Really, digital manufacturing is pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. It is. So that's all great stuff. I, I, I just, um, you know, I know that your, your, your past prior, like you were saying, to even being uh, there at Carbon and you were talking about, was it, is it Legacy Effects was the, is the company prior to this? Is it you yep. still with Legacy Effects or is that something... Nope, I'm 100% at Carbon. Carbon, I'm, yeah. Yep, I'm, I'm standing back watching Legacy Effects' success. They're a very talented group of people. Yeah. Uh, Legacy Effects was started out of the original Stan Winston studio. Mm, wow. Uh, who brought some of the biggest movies to life, like Aliens, Jurassic Park, Terminator. Uh, and working for Stan was pretty amazing. I only worked a sliver of my time with him. Yeah. But he enabled us when, after he passed away in 2008, mm. uh it was 2008, so many years have passed now, that we started Legacy in his honor and brought that true artisanship in that was already defined. 
and then brought in much more technology. How can we bridge that gap from artistry into technology uh, selfishly for our timelines? Yes. Okay. We saw the benefit, uh, you know, what the studios were asking of us just in design world. There was a lot more, you know, we started physically sculpting way back in the years and then we went into digital sculpting. And well, if you look at it in just a suit design, a robot, a lot of that stuff is mirrored where left side is the same as the right side in a physical sculpting world, just to mirror something is a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And if there's changes, a lot more time. Uh, so now we can be precise. We can be highly accurate and we can deliver it a lot faster and efficient. And that's what we did. Yeah, that's, I mean, that whole side of it, that creative side of it, I think is obviously the out of the box, you know, when you get into the engineering side of what's going on, uh, you know, a lot of people are in that box and they don't quite have the creative tools to get other things to happen. So I see that as a, a really huge part of uh, your background to bring yes. uh, to this whole world. It's it's just uh, endless, uh, amazing possibilities of creation and then bringing that mindset into a production uh, work frame is, is <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's got to be That's- exciting. That's the biggest thing that I've taken away from my time in entertainment. And I think about this a lot, Adam, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I work with some very, very, very smart people just in general every day. And a lot of people that hold some big degrees out of some big schools, big engineering schools, and they've textbook learned, which is phenomenal. It's great. However, you don't have that real world dynamic to understand how to pivot and shift multiple times throughout a day because of client decisions that are out of your control, budgetary decisions that are out of your control. I see a lot of stalling and deer in headlights. Uh, sure. Where, as I, I can tell you, I, I think you had Dana McCallum on here yep. a little bit ago. Yep, not too long ago, yeah. She'll back this up. Yeah. You can throw any obstacle at me throughout my day with 50 million things on my plate. I'll meet, I'll meet everything you need by five o'clock or whatever that deadline may be, because I know how to creatively get to a dynamically shifting deadline. Right. And that's what you don't learn in a lot of these programs. And it's that real world experience. I wish it's not too popular today. I mean, I came out of college. I was an apprentice. That's how I learned most of what I use today by, you know, someone bullying me around, telling me what it's going to take for me to get my first true position outside of pushing a mop, helping that apprenticeship program trades are great. This is how you deal with the unexpected in an already crazy deadline. And that's something that I think we as a country could use a lot more of. No, I think you're absolutely right. And you're talking about, I guess that was your time coming out of the art Institute. Is that correct? When you're yeah, that journey in life, how, how, how was that back then? That, that was cool. That was back in the day where I thought that I want to follow my friends that were all becoming, you know, pro skaters and followed them awesome. around my video camera and yeah. movies. I went to school for film and video. I didn't go to school for anything, wow. anything engineering whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have a, a true film, film and video background. And awesome. Yeah. And just being able to, I, I get it. Not everyone's an artist, not everyone's a creative thinker. However, there's a lot of skill sets that artistic people have that they can do. There's a lot of skill sets that artistic people do not have. Like mm. I just had this conversation with Dana a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. I don't even know where to start how to balance a checkbook. 
However, if you need me to creatively get something done for you, I will figure it out. I'm great at doing the impossible for the first time ever. Uh, And that's what I bring to the table. And we can do some really cool things. And I love showing that to people too. Like you said it earlier, I latched onto something. Mm -hmm. People are stuck within this only way of doing things. And it's very binary and very linear. And got to explode and get through that because once you figure that out and everyone's different, that gives you more time back. That puts you more in control in the driver's seat because what might be a crazy issue for your company is going to be no problem for you supporting that and getting it through. And your company will see value in you doing that. No, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. And I think obviously working with people that have those different attributes makes a team, right? You know, absolutely. You, yeah, yeah. So you need all sides of it. And if you're if you're better at one side of it, you know, find the other side that you're not so better with. <laughs> yeah. I always use this one funny example back at my legacy effects days, you know. At Legacy Effects, uh they were responsible for the Affleck duck. Okay. Oh, okay. Everyone knows that duck. Affleck, so. yeah, yeah. To, to do the athletic duck, you obviously need to have like a feather expert that you work with because if you're going to ship the athletic duck to another country, certain feathers, animals are not allowed to cross certain lines ah, unless you pay a lot true. of money. So we have all different types of people. So anyway, we were working on a project that was heavy robot type project, mechanical engineering. And we were all sitting at one of these large shop desks one day and we were stumped, completely stumped. We were pulling our hair out. We were on a problem for like three days, couldn't figure it out. And our feather expert happened to be walking by us and just like looked over at the table and just goes, have you ever tried blah, 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 blah. And just kept walking. And we all just looked at each other and we were just like, nailed it. And that was our solution. Our solution didn't even come from one of us, one of our team members that was a specialist in that field it came from someone that's just a different way of looking at something. Mm-hmm. And we were so granularly in our world, our box, if you will, that it took someone that had nothing about what we do to open our eyes and solve it. Yeah, that is the true teamwork right there. And you never know yep. where it comes from sometimes, you know. So it's important to have those players on the team. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, wow, it's been awesome having you here today. I know that Carbon has a lot of things going on. Is there anything coming up that uh, we should know about? Uh, so we're, we're starting to move towards uh, the commercialization of our general L1 big printer, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Uh, we actually have some out in the field right now and getting some really, really nice benchmarking results off of that. Oh, cool. Uh, so there's we have like an early access program going on for that right now, which is very exciting for me because, you know, it's nice. Once again, I'm going to compare this to the story I just told, you know, Carbon's up there developing a new technology, a new machine. It's nice to get it out into the wild and put it into other people's hands to help solve some of these problems that we may be challenged with at times. So that's very exciting for me. Uh, Bigger parts or more smaller parts hitting economics a lot better. Materials, uh, we have some new materials coming out, and we'll also be announcing a a partnership with Henkel uh, in the first single cure material, single part curing material coming out of the gate will be Henkel clear. Awesome. We'll finally have a proper clear material. For wow. Carbon really space, cool. Yeah. Which is really, really nice. And then one of our roadmap items, and I've dabbled in printing with it a little bit uh, so far as a new flavor to our epoxy family, it'll be called uh, EPX 86 FR. So it's our first step into a V zero okay. material. 
Nice, nice. Oh, well, awesome. Yes. And lots of software updates, as you can imagine, on the latticing end of things. Texturing is a big one for us as well. Uh, coming up with this digital ecosystem of a solution that keeps people out of CAD as much as possible is pretty exciting for me. Oh, boy, you opened up another one there with uh, out of CAD, huh? Yeah, there's a lot of that going on, and, and uh, the softwares are get, developing at a, a fast pace, right? I think software is big, the next evolution of the 3D printing side. I think there's so much to do in software right now. It's awesome. Huge yeah. to do in software. You're seeing a lot more players come to the table. Yeah. A lot more unique solutions. A whole new designing language, right? Generative latticing. There's going to be a lot of focus on that, right. which is huge. But I also think that, you know, our, you know, our old school .stl file, I think, is going to start coming into play a little bit more. And we're going to start needing new supporting formats for how this world works in data and downstream processes. So I know that's a whole nother topic, but it, it is, it is. And it just one quick thing on that, that always, I know it's there, right? Because you have all the vectors and everything going on in the CAD data. You have the way any kind of, well, it's all the different, what it is, is it's all the different technologies. It's all coming at it in a different way. So there's, there's <laughs> endless ways to control the, that the vector information coming in and then everything else that's going out with surfaces it's interesting, but it's getting there. I see a lot of those bridges happening right now with different file formats. And uh, Oh, exactly. And then you look at just uh, process control and what kind of metadata are people looking for? I mean, I mean, look, I mean, the way we advance today, just in general, as a country, as a world, is pretty phenomenal. It is. I had, you know, carbon being up in Silicon Valley. It was my first time really getting in in Silicon Valley, if you will. And the data-centric stuff that's just up there, and I'm, I'm learning things every day, and I think it's going to be a big need for where we evolve into in the supporting file-type formats and that necessary embedded data that needs to come along with it that we just can't do in this current format. I mean, I mean just in file weight alone, with latticing, I won't even go there, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You know, with with uh, you know, with three D scanning, surface scanning, I remember seeing the color mapping happening. You know, and at first yep. there was nothing there. Now, my gosh, it's it's close to the heart to tell what's happening now with the color mapping going on with this the surfacing. So, oh yeah, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's an evolution that's it's happening right now. So I'm sure uh, we just keep riding the wave and we'll get there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jason, hey, it's awesome having you here. Thanks again. And uh, I'll go ahead and put a link to Carbon3D.com so people can check that out too. And uh, thank you again for your time. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you around. Absolutely, Adam. Thank you very much. If anyone wants to connect, I love having discussions with people. And, you know, awesome, man. Let's just keep moving it forward. Definitely. Thank you. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to the All Digital Additive Manufacturing Podcast. If you would like to help support and be part of our community, take action and smash subscribe, press follow, comment below, or leave a review. And don't forget to share. Thanks for continuing the conversation. This is Adam Penna signing off. See you soon.